If you have a Bible, would you turn with me to Genesis chapter 37? Our scripture reading this morning is from Genesis 37, verses 1 to 13, as well as verses 18 to 20. And it says, Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings, in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Billah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his other brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, Hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the fields, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. And his brothers said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us, or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. Now his brothers went to the pasture, their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to him, Here I am. They saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. And they said to one another, Here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will become of his dreams. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Lord be with you. Great to be with you this morning. Uh, we are in a new series today in the book of Genesis on living the dream. Probably no one in the congregation this morning who hasn't at some point in their life uh, woken up, turned to somebody nearby and said, I just had the weirdest dream. And we're never quite sure if it's God or the pizza. Uh, we... But we sort of relate what's going on in it. And, and dreams can be very strange. Dreams can be very weird. Shakespeare said, we're the stuff that dreams are made of. And our little life is rounded with a sleep. But when we dream, this, this sharing that takes place among us, this common experience is something that's hard for us to quantify and to understand. In a 2015 article in Psychology Today, they explored what the purposes of dreams would be, what the source of them are. And they couldn't come from a scientific standpoint to a particular conclusion as to why they happen. They suggested it was a component of memory, processing, uh, helping us to consolidate past experiences. In some cases, some scientists suggest that it's a way for us to be warned about future events. And in some cases, it's a way to bring past and present and future all together to solve problems, 
All of these are suggestions, but the truth is, and here's the quote from the article, there is not likely ever to be a simple answer or a single theory that explains the full role of dreaming in a human life. So they can't come to a particular conclusion, but of course in that article in Psychology Today, there was never the possibility put forward that it might be a place where God would speak to someone. That's understandable. And yet in the text, in the text of Scripture, we find numerous occasions where God shows up to people in dreams. And in this case that we read about today, we've got a 17-year-old young man, the chosen and elect son of his father, that has a dream and then shares it. What do we do with that? Of course, dream is an ambiguous word to us. It can mean a lot of different things. It can be something really positive. You know, Steven Spielberg, the remarkable director in Hollywood who's given us so many gifts in film, he said, he said, I don't dream when I sleep. I dream when I'm awake. I dream for a living. That's a very positive sense of the term. It could be negative as well, the way the brothers spoke of Joseph. Here comes that dreamer. Somebody, that guy's just a dreamer. One definition of a cynic is someone who's lived with a dreamer for longer than 10 years. But we use the term as well in a cultural sense. We're often talking about the American dream. That phrase first showed up in our culture in 1931 in a book called Epic of America by James Truslow Adams. This is a quote from the book. He said, the American dream of a land in which life should be better, richer, and fuller with opportunity for each according to their ability and achievement. You can look up any number of different studies about whether or not people feel like they're living the American dream or what that dream consists of. Pew Research Foundation found that it consisted of freedom of choice, having personal security, home ownership, physical security, a good family, relational security, and retirement, financial security. And it was summarized in statements like, I want to give my kids a better life. I want to do better than my parents did. I want to lead a successful business. Another high one on the list was own a home. One percent of the respondents said achieve fame and listed the Kardashians as their model for living the dream. But of course, biblically, having the dream is something much bigger than ourselves. It's embodied in a phrase that we heard uttered on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial in 1963 by a person who changed the world when Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said, I have a dream. Joseph used language like that when he was 17. I have had a dream. I've had a dream. Now you might think that a 17-year-old isn't a person at the zenith of their wisdom. Maybe he should have let it simmer a little while before he shared it. But the truth is, at 17, he's God's instrument. He's God's chosen vessel, and God has given him a dream. And it is going to be literally fulfilled. His brothers really are going to bow down to him. But when he shares it with them, they're not happy about it. They hate him. They already hate him, and they hate him all the more. 
Who was this guy? Who was Joseph? Well, we read in the text that he's a 17-year-old beloved son of his father, Jacob. Jacob was the son of Isaac, who was the son of Abraham. So you got the great patriarchs, you know, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, now Joseph. He was the son of Jacob's old age. Joseph, Joseph was, he, he was the son of Jacob's beloved wife, Rachel, and he he loved him because he was the son that he always longed for from the woman he'd always wanted. Jacob had multiple wives. Um, I don't want to get into all of that this morning, but it, it, it all comes out of him laboring for the woman he loved and then her sister being given to him in an act of deception. It's one of the most curious verses in the whole Bible. It says that he married, he went to the wedding ceremony, and then in the morning, behold, it was Leah. Ooh, Wow, that was a moment. And so then he has to labor seven more years for the, the lady that he always longed for. And so now he has them, he has servants, he's got all these children. So Joseph, Joseph and his brothers, they have the same father, but they don't have the same mothers. So you know, they're kind of half-brothers in here, but he does something interesting. In that culture, in that culture, the firstborn son always got the double portion of the inheritance. He got the part that was the biggest. But when Jacob saw Joseph, he put on him this multicolored coat, and that was the sign that he was now in the place of the firstborn. He, this one who was the 11th born, would now take the place of the firstborn. He would be the one with all the inheritance. He would be the one with all the power. So now we begin to understand a little bit of why his brothers detested him so much. And then he comes on the scene and he says in his, in his glowing coat, by the way, you're all going to bow down to me. Joseph's dream was to have the power to rule the world. That was his world. And he had a dream that he would be in charge of it, that people would bow down to him. And again, that dream literally came to pass. But what Joseph didn't understand was the dilemma of his dream, which is the path that he would take towards its fulfillment. His father sent him on a little mission. I want you to go out to your brothers or keeping watch over the flock over there. I want you to go towards him. And as he's approaching them, his brothers see him off in a distance. They go, here comes that dreamer. Man, we hate that guy. Let's kill him. Let's get rid of him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. So he shows up. But when he does, they take him, they seize him. And this, the scripture says that they they, they, they tore that robe off of him and they threw him in a pit. The word that's used there for stripping that robe off of him is a word that was used for skinning an animal. They ripped everything off of him and they threw him naked into a pit. So he's suffering now from this immense, violent, personal rejection by his own family. He's thrown into a pit. We'll read later in the story as we go along over the next three weeks that, that he was crying out in that pit crying out in that hole in the ground, longing to get out of it, and his brothers were just sitting around the fire, eating, drinking, having their supper, laughing about their brother over in the pit. And then coming over the horizon were some Ishmaelite traders. They were on their way to Egypt. They are on their way to Egypt. And so one of the guys says, let's, let's get, let's, why just kill the guy? Let's make some money. So they get Joseph up out of the pit to sell him. 
They sell him to these Ishmaelite traders who were on their way to Egypt. So the last time Joseph's brothers see Joseph, he's, he's naked and he's shackled and chained, going along behind a, a camel or a donkey over the horizon on his way to Egypt while they're laughing and carrying on. And off Joseph goes to Egypt. And when he gets there, Joseph is put into a slave market and as happened to slaves, was put up on the block, and he was sold to the highest bidder. He went to a man named Potiphar. Potiphar had a very exalted position, and he brought him into his household, cleaned him up, clothed him. 17-year-old young man, good-looking guy, and uh, it turns out that Potiphar's wife had an eye for him. And she tried to seduce him, and she said to him repeatedly, lie with me lie with me. And Joseph said no. He never would give in to that temptation. He knew that he couldn't do that and dishonor his master or her or his God. And he kept saying no, no. So having suffered this terrible rejection, the kind of thing which might make you or I even question whether or not God was anywhere near our lives, Joseph is clinging, clinging to his faith and who God is, clinging to what he knows that is right. Finally, one day, she says to him, lie with me, as he's standing close by, and she reaches out and grabs him. And when she does, he, he yells no, and he runs, but when he runs, she's got a hold of his garment, and once again, Joseph's garment is stripped away from him, and she's holding it, and she screams and says, he attacked me. And so Joseph finds himself not only rejected and sold into slavery, but he finds himself falsely accused and hurled into a dark prison where he doesn't have any special clothes anymore. Now he's got the garments of a prisoner. Now he looks like Jean Valjean in Les Mis before the change. And he's down there in the depths of that dungeon. And while he's there, Joseph was the kind of guy who kept ending up in charge of stuff because he had wisdom and there was something about him he had a grace in his life that was from God so he ended up in charge of his brothers even though they ended up throwing him out he ended up in charge of Potiphar's household even though he got thrown into prison and when he was in prison he ended up being in charge of the whole prison there were a couple of guys that were with him in prison they were part of Pharaoh's house Pharaoh the ruler of Egypt one was the cupbearer to the king and the other was the baker and uh, one day the two were talking Joseph came over to him and said, what are you guys talking about? And they go, we had a dream. And Joseph said, well, you know, you need to watch out for that dreaming thing. Let me just tell you. <laughs> tell, me, tell, me your, tell me your dream. And uh, the, the cupbearer said, well, I had this dream. And I, I, I saw this great cluster of grapes. And I was squeezing it. And wine was going into the chalice. And I was presenting it. For Pharaoh. And Joseph said, that's, 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 a, that's a good dream. He said, you're, you're going to be restored to your office, and soon you're going to be exalted, and you're going to be back out of the prison. You're going to be with Pharaoh. And the bread, the, the baker said, that's an excellent interpretation. I'll tell him my dream. And he says, he says, well, in my dream, he said, I had this basket of bread on my head, and these birds came and started eating the bread out of the basket and waiting for the good interpretation. And Joseph said, ah, yeah, not such a good dream. Uh, they're going to chop your head off and put it on a pike outside the palace. Yeah, not such a good dream. And sure enough, next day, Baker gets put to death. 
cupbearer gets restored to Pharaoh. And as the cupbearer is on his way out, he's going to be exalted. Joseph says to him, hey, hey, when you get up there, when you get back to the surface, you know, and you're in an exalted position, would you remember me? Don't forget me. And then the text says that when the cupbearer got in the presence of Pharaoh, he forgot about Joseph. You know, I don't know that there's anything worse in life than just being forgotten. You're just down in the dungeon. You're dirty. You're nobody. You're nothing. Forget about it. What do you think Joseph thought of his dream at that point? Everybody's going to bow down to me. Yeah, right. Forgotten. Rejected. Violated. Sold. Imprisoned. Falsely accused. All of these things pushing him down, down, down. A short time later, Pharaoh walks into the throne room all troubled. There's the cupbearer standing there. He says, what's wrong? Pharaoh says, I had a dream. And the cupbearer said, oh, man. Oh, rats. I knew, oh, I forgot to, yeah. Um, well, actually, your majesty, I know a guy who's pretty good with dreams, actually. Where is he? Well, he's, he's in the dungeon. Well, bring him up. So they get Joseph, they clean him up, they bring him up in front of Pharaoh, and Pharaoh says, I had this dream. And these fat cows and these skinny cows, and the skinny cows, they were like, like just skin and bones, but the skinny cows ate up the fat cows. What's this all about? What's with my fat cow, skinny cow dream? Joseph said, well, there's a famine coming. You've got a great harvest that's coming, but then after that harvest, there's going to be a famine, and the famine's going to be so bad, it's going to eat up the years of plenty. You need to get ready. You need to get your storehouses full of the harvest now so that the whole world doesn't starve to death. That's what, that's what this is about. You need to get a guy in charge of that stuff. And Pharaoh says, you're the man. You're the man. You're the guy who gets it. We're going to put you in charge. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain on his neck. And he made him ride in his second chariot. It's like Air Force Two. And, and they called out before him, bow the knee. And they put him over all the land of Egypt. So in a day, Joseph goes from the deepest dungeon of Egypt and filth and the misery of that to Second in command, he's at the right hand of power, and he's got all authority, and everywhere he goes in Egypt, they cry out, bow the knee. And he stores up the food, and he gets it all ready to go for the day of famine that comes, and it comes. And it comes to Egypt, and it's horrendous. And Joseph opens up the floodgates of the storehouses. Well, whatever became of Joseph's brothers, right? What happened to those rascals? I mean, here's the thing, they had to go home. They had to make up a story, and they had to make it up quick. So they took Joseph's coat, that coat of many colors, and they shredded it. And they dipped it in animal blood, and they took Joseph's torn coat, and they presented it to their father, this robe dipped in blood. And they said, see, uh, an animal must have killed him. And the father mourned for his lost son. And the brothers thought, got out of that one. Got rid of that guy. But then you see that famine happened. And Jacob said, I hear there's, there's food over in Egypt. There's a guy over there who stored it all up. I want you to go over there, and I want you to 
go over there to Egypt and get some food. And so they go. And it's very interesting. Because when they walk in to get the food, all of these brothers, let me read it to you from 42. Joseph was governor over the land, and he was the one who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed down before him with their faces to the ground. And Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but they did not recognize him. Of course they didn't. I mean, he looks good, man. He's got cool Egyptian makeup on. He's married to a beautiful daughter of the high priest of the land. He's got all this power and all this authority. He knew them, but they didn't know him. And through a whole series of events, they take food back. He loads up their sacks. They come back for more. There's a whole lot going on in this story, which we'll get into, but let me get you to the chase here in chapter 45 because it says here that finally a certain day came that Joseph as his brothers are in front of him, could not control himself anymore. And he cried, everyone out. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. It's one of those deep groaning cries that come from the, down in the guts of who we are. He just weeps out, oh, you know, here are my brothers. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my brother still alive? But his brothers couldn't answer him because they were, this is polite, dismayed at his presence. That's the understatement of the entire Bible so far, right? I mean, what did his brothers say when they knew who it was and thought about what they'd done? And they saw, this is, this is Joseph? They said something like, well, dang. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you just said, right? Right? That's what you just said. No, no. I, 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 there's a wonderful passage in Daniel where it talks about the king having his bowels loosed. That's an interesting passage as well in the Bible. They were having visions of their heads on pikes. That's what they were having. What would you have done if you were Joseph after what they'd done to him? Joseph said to his brothers, Come near to me, please. Would you say it with me? Come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now don't be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, because God sent me here to preserve you alive. And it says that Joseph brought his brothers near to him and he fell on their necks and he began to weep upon them. He was back with his brothers. He knew his father was alive. The dream was fulfilled. But isn't it interesting? It wasn't fulfilled the way Joseph thought it was going to be fulfilled. Because the truth is, God gives us dreams 
which, while they are about us, are never for us. We talk about the American dream. Get this, get this, get the physical security. Get the relational security. Some of you sitting here, if I could just, if I could just have a husband, if I could just have a wife, if I could just own a house, drive that car, if I could just have this, my life would be, that's the dream. There's nothing wrong with any of those things, but God's dream is so much bigger. Jesus put it this way, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all this other stuff will be what? Just added to you. God gives us dreams, but they're never about and for anyone other than him. And the reason we can turn what our whole culture says should be our personal dreams into something bigger, which is a kingdom dream, is because Joseph points the way. Because Joseph points a way beyond himself to someone else who was a chosen elect son who left his father's house to visit his brothers. And while he was there, they rejected him and sold him. And he became a slave, falsely accused, even to the point of death. And they threw him into the deepest possible dungeon where he interpreted bread and wine and then rose again to the right hand of all power and called himself the bread of life and reigns today with his garment dipped in blood stained by that sacrifice so that our garments could be clean and white as snow and he lives to feed the world. Joseph pointed beyond himself to Jesus who when he looks on us sees the fulfillment of his dream. Jesus is the ultimate Joseph and when he dreamed, he dreamed of you. He gave his life for you. When we see what we did to him. It was our sins, after all, that put him on that cross. When the day comes when, even though we haven't seen him, we suddenly see him and we know who he is. And we go, oh, no, we, what, we, what did I do? Jesus does not reject and shame and condemn us. Jesus says what Joseph said. Come to me, please, come to me. And he falls on us, not in judgment, but in love. And he weeps on our necks. And he makes our clothing wet with his tears rather than soaked in judgment. Jesus says to everyone here, come to me. Come to me, please. And he says from the cross what Joseph said to his brothers. You meant it for evil. You sent me here. But God sent me here. You meant it for evil. But God meant it for good to give you life. Jesus is the greatest dreamer of all.
And you are the one for whom he dreamed. He wants you to be his. And if you've never come to him yet, come to him. This one who suffered so much to make you his own. And do not be afraid anymore. And if you're his and you're wondering, does he really love me? I'm really his brother. Might, might he not shame me? Might he not judge me? Hear, hear the word of the Lord. You are his beloved. And he will never reject you or let you go. And that is why, my friends, your dream this morning, your dream can become his dream. You can break out of the narcissism of our culture. Can I give you a prophecy? Forget the Kardashians. There's a bigger dream to dream, to seek first the kingdom, because Christ first sought us. Let's pray. Lord, let the dream of the kingdom seize our hearts and thoughts. Let the words of Joseph, that God meant it for good to give life, echo in our hearts. Let the words of Joseph, draw near to me, please, settle into our souls. As the words of the greater Joseph, our Savior, who has brought us to himself, who has risen to the right hand of power, to feed the world that's starving. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Let's stand before the Lord and confess our faith together in the one who's risen on high to feed the world. Isn't it great to be loved by the Lord? Amen. Saints of God, in whom do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And from thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we come before you now. You who have given your life for us. You have given so much to us. You whose dream is so much bigger than our own. We come and we bring these tithes and offerings to you now. Receive them to feed the world, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. What a great time together. Let's stand before the Lord who loves us, who has bathed us in his tears and washed us in his blood and made us his own. There's so much to rejoice in today. Amen? Amen. Glory to God. Wow. All right.
let's uh, receive his benediction. Now the grace of the Lord Jesus, the love of God the Father, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you now and always. Amen. Let's uh, go rejoicing.